0: This is John Shannon for Radio Free Galisteo, and I am speaking with Frank Rose, who is the author, most recently, of The Sea We Swim In, How Stories Work in a Data-Driven World. And Frank is currently in Manhattan uh, and is a senior fellow at Columbia University School of the Arts. Frank, tell us why storytelling is important in this data-driven world we're in. (laughs) <laughs> sure. Well, I think storytelling has always been important, but it's
1: become more important now because we realize that we're all storytellers. It used to be, you know, during the industrial age, twentieth century, we were supposed to be just a mass audience, a passive audience. We were supposed to sit back and consume the TV show, the ads, the movie, whatever. And now we realize that that's not how it works at all. Uh, you know, in in uh, processing stories, we our brain uh, essentially helps us to uh, co-create them in partnership with the author. In other words, we bring a lot to the story, our own perceptions, our own uh, past experiences, and our own attitudes.
0: I take it also just the interactive nature of the, the, the world we're in really counts for a lot more before, you know, for example, this is Radio Free Galisteo, but I am broadcast over the internet, and so people could interact with me. Uh, it, it's a two- way street here, as before uh, you know, just terrestrial radio for better part of a century was you just listen, we'll pump stuff out to you. and but now now the audience has a direct access to you that you know is is even quicker than, hey, our phone lines are open.
1: <laughs> right, right, exactly.
0: How does that shape things? I mean, and with regard to the to the storytelling, for any other big business out there or anybody on the uh, in in this in this world, why and how is is that storytelling um, either changed or improved by this type of interaction?
1: Sure. Well, first off, I think uh, the most important thing is uh, in realizing that there is room for interaction that that people are going to interact with your story in one way or another. You have to leave room for them to do so. In the book, I name what I considered nine key elements of story, and the you know things like the author, the audience, the journey that you're taking the audience on, and so forth. One of them is this, is the world, which is to say the story world. It used to be, you know, we so all stories have a setting, and that was fine. It was just part of the you know landscape. But now there's a growing realization that you have to make room for the, uh, for the audience uh, in that setting. That's why it's called the story world. Uh, you know, that if we understand stories by projecting ourselves imaginatively in, into them, which is uh, sort of the growing consensus, then that means that stories have to make room for the audience. And that's a whole different
0: proposition. Can you give me a good example of, of how that operates?
1: Sure. Well, one pretty successful example was the Hunger Games movie franchise from a few years ago. Uh, you know, the, um, it's a pretty uh, well-realized world, uh, you know, fictional world in the, in, in the novels and in the uh, movies. But in marketing the films, what they did was, uh, you know, sort of create numerous ways for people to, fans to interact with the story with, uh, you know, what was happening with the world of the story. For example, one thing was just fairly simple, although rarely done before, which is they created billboards, actual actual billboards that went up in cities around the world, advertising products that could only have existed in this fictional world. Another thing was the story of, of The Hunger Games was based on a fallen version of the United States in which uh, the country has been divided into districts. So through social media, they invited people to join in, to sign up for one of these districts. You could be on a district council. You could uh, be involved in all kinds of ways. So, you know, really the fictional world was, was sort of uh, it was both something for the story, but it was also a way to get people involved.
0: So it was, um, I don't know, almost uh, an extended uh, or or virtual version of Dungeons and Dragons, but specific to this movie, maybe.
1: <laughs> yes, right. You could say that. You could okay. say that. And, and you and- know, one of the one of the really interesting things was after the movies came out, people uh, in the real world sort of took this and and made it their own. I mean, in Thailand, demonstrators against the coup used the mockingjay symbol which was uh, a hand signal and uh, uh, it became outlawed in Thailand just as it was in uh, the fictional world of the
0: movies. So yeah, life imitates art at that point. Exactly. Um, Okay, this brings up a really interesting point. You have a fantasy world that uh, people became involved in, uh, both for the, certainly for the entertainment value and then gradually, that turned into something where you you saw it in in reality used as a, a symbol for a protest. Let's talk about QAnon and their storytelling. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I mean, it, it's 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 the same sort of thing, is it not? It is. Uh,
1: you have to say uh, whatever else about it. It's wildly creative. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> correct. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean. QAnon is a perfect example, I think, of of how stories can be weaponized against us. And, you know, what's, what's happened here, I mean, we still don't exactly know who Q is. Supposedly, it's a, um, you know, a, a government operative who has access to top-level secrets and can explain that there's this uh, conspiracy going on, this sort of wild conspiracy involving, uh, you know, children and, uh, you know, just all kinds of stuff. JFK Jr. faked his death, all kinds of stuff like this. And, uh, and of course, Donald Trump is, uh, you know, really the victor in the election that was stolen from him, uh, you know, so forth and so on. Uh, Just all kinds of wild fictions that are presented as truth and lots of people believe it and you know in my last book the art of immersion i wrote about among other things alternate reality games which is to say uh, you know games that were took place in a fictional reality and you know but people played them as if they were real mm-hmm. and what's happened now is that alternate reality games are things like QAnon, you know except they're being presented as real they're not being presented as fictional But you have the same kind of dynamics at work. People go online, hunt for clues, you know, find explanations for things. Uh, You know, the phrase, I've done my homework. You know, that's that's part of it. There's a real danger in this, isn't there? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when, when people believe fictional alternate realities, and take them very seriously, and when they've been weaponized politically, as, as this has, I think there's a, a, a very clear danger to it. And, you know, more broadly speaking, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a danger to stories in general, if they haven't been, if you're not aware of what's going on. Because stories appeal to the emotions. There are really two modes of thought, as the psychologist Jerome Bruner wrote in the mid-1980s. There's the logical mode, uh, you know, which is what we're always taught that as humans, we ought to, you know, uh, uh, practice uh, reason, the laws of reason and logic and so forth. Uh, But then there's also the storytelling mode. And stories, the thing about stories is they appeal to the emotions. So it's very um, easy for... People to get carried away with stories of whatever sort, because there's an emotional hook there. That's Mm -hmm. why they're so powerful. This emotional hook gives us something to remember them by, and you know we're we're much more likely to remember something if it's presented as a story, some salient fact uh, or true or otherwise, if it's presented in story form. Than we are if it's presented as, you know, just like, here's a, here's a fact you ought to know. And that's where data comes in, too, because, you know, we think we, I mean, data can be very useful in terms of uh, showing things that are actually happening that we weren't aware of. Hmm. But if you think that we, our society is really run by data, that's not true. Our society is run by stories and stories are run by emotion. Uh, and, you know, we, we better be aware of that.
0: Right, and as as we're continuing to talk about the the storytelling and and uh, the interesting and benign way or, uh, that it was used, at least for well, benign way it was it was used for making money with the Hunger Games. Certainly, uh, getting people engaged. As we were talking about this, the first thing that came to, to mind was clean coal. <laughs> right? Clean coal technology or petroleum companies talking about how they're saving the environment and how, you know, I I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's that combination of data versus this narrative that, okay, how accurate is it? And how accurate is that actual data?
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, you know, clean coal is, uh, you know, sort of a joke. And uh, uh, the idea that um, that companies or any sort of organization can can tell a story like this. That's really what I what I deal with in my Columbia seminar, you know, I, I, I teach this uh, program called strategic storytelling, school of the arts in partnership with Columbia Business School executive education, which means it's for business executives, it's not for undergraduates or even graduate students. And The idea of strategic storytelling, of strategic stories, is really about these are the stories that you fall back on. These are the stories that are sort of fundamental to your identity as an organization or a company or an individual.
0: This is Radio Free Galisteo, music and information from the Galisteo Basin. Radio Free Galisteo is listener supported. Go to www.radiofregalisteo.com and click on our Patreon support button to become an active supporting member of Radio Free Galisteo.
1: We get people from all kinds of companies. Uh, we get people from nonprofits like Doctors Without Borders and various hospitals and, and, and so forth. And it's, you know, really important, I think, for all of us, uh, organization or individual, to have some stories to fall back on, to have some stories that sort of establish who we are. And uh, that's, um, uh, that's the focus of the exec ed program. It's also really the focus of the book, which is largely an outgrowth of, the, uh,
0: the, of this program that I've been teaching at Columbia for the past seven years. As we're telling these stories about ourselves or about our company what's the role of truth
1: <laughs> right the role of truth well the role of truth ought to be uh, you know that it pervades your story that your story has to have uh, should have some factual basis and and should be telling the truth unfortunately that's not always the case uh, you know quite quite obviously and uh, uh, you know, and when that happens, I think it's really incumbent on all of us to, number one, to point that out, and number two, to um, to to just be aware of it in our own lives. We have to know about the world that we're living in, and the world that we're living in is largely defined by stories. And so, we have to it's really up to us to inform ourselves about what stories are true or or at least believable, and what stories are not.
0: Yeah, and something you said earlier that has become part of the whole uh, QAnon narrative. You know, I, I did my homework, or do do your homework. How do we, how can we be assured that we are actually finding out accurate information anymore?
1: <laughs> well, that's a very good question. But <clears throat> I think the uh, I think the key is cross referencing it. If you are only Living in some right-wing fantasy world, mm-hmm. uh, and that's your sole source of information, then uh, it's going to be a problem. And it's not just, you know, right-wingers either. This can happen to anybody. Right. So I do think that cross-referencing is really important. You have to consult other sources, I- including maybe sources that you might not be inclined to agree with. Ultimately, it really comes down to it's our responsibility as people in the world to sort of figure out for ourselves what's going on as as best we can. And there's no silver bullet, I don't think. Uh, if there was, I'd, I'd certainly be uh, advertising it. Uh, mm. But uh, but it just it requires consciousness. It requires being aware of, of where you are and what you're doing and what's being directed at you and why.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess um, not being a lazy consumer. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, consumer is an interesting, uh, you know, word here because one of the things that's happening is that advertising, conventional advertising is, uh, you know, sort of not working anymore because we can get as consumers, we can get all kinds of information about products, anything that we're interested in buying or, or renting or whatever. We can get all kinds of information about it online. And some of the information may be biased or, or, or not. But People just don't want to be sold at anymore. You know, they, they they don't want to hear these pitches. If you're gonna do an advertisement now, you almost have to do something that's entertaining, which means something that comes in the form of
0: a story. Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah, and if you look back at uh, the the last decade worth of uh, commercials on the Super Bowl uh, during Super the Super Bowl, uh, you find a number of interesting. Uh, little stories being told about products in a in a very concise way.
1: Exactly, exactly. I use several of those in my uh, in my exec ed program because you can show them in sixty seconds or ninety seconds or whatever, and and then bring it up as a topic for discussion. Sort of pull them apart and see how they work, and even diagram them sometimes
0: frank what would you say is without giving the the book away what would you say is one of the critical things you want people to take away from from your book uh great question thank you for asking
1: you know the the point of the sea we swim in is really that stories are everywhere stories define our reality we need to be aware of this and often we're not that's the point of the uh, title the sea we swim in is a sea of stories and uh you know there there's this old uh, saw that uh, the fish will be the last to uh, discover water right because it's so obvious it's so apparent it's everywhere around them that's what stories are like with us and that's why i wrote this book to 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 show how important and how you know really
0: life defining stories are i'm going to take a quick tangent here you covered the punk scene at CBGB's?
1: (laughs) I did. Yes. Right. Back uh, uh, quite a while ago for the village voice. All right. Uh, still pretty new to New York.
0: So best story coming out of that for you. What was your most interesting moment at CBGB? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, You know, there were, there were lots of great moments. Um, I saw talking heads. I saw the Ramones. I ended up writing quite a bit about the Ramones, uh, including a, profile of Didi for my first book, which was called Real Men. But it wasn't just CBGB is the truth. There were lots. There were a bunch of places. Uh, Max's Kansas City was really important. You know, for me, I think the real intro was I saw Patty Smith at Max's Kansas City. This was in 1974 sometime. And uh, she had yet to make a record. She was, you know, practically entirely unknown. Uh, but um she was opening for, I believe it was for Phil Oaks, and uh she was completely electric. It it sort of blew me away. And you know, that was my first exposure to this sort of new energy that was uh, that was coming out and was gonna really
0: redefine rock music in the in the seventies. You are listening to author Frank Rose who has written The Sea We Swim In and also is the author of The Art of Immersion, a landmark book on tech and narrative. Uh, Frank, as as we wind up, any final thoughts uh, on The uh, the Sea We're Swimming In today?
1: Uh, sure. Uh, you know, let me tell a little story myself. Sure. There's, um, uh, you know, there's an interview that I did with James Cameron in the in the mid uh <clears throat> when I was a writer at Wired Magazine. It sort of changed my life in it Led me to be doing these two books. And it was, um, I was doing a piece for Wired on 3D, and Cameron had invented, of course, this 3D camera system. He was in Montreal in the sound where another director was directing the first movie using this um, camera system. He just wanted to be there and see how it worked. So I uh, I went up there to interview him and it was great. He didn't he, you know, have much to do, so I got a lot of time with him. Uh, and of course, I asked him about Avatar, which was widely expected to be his next film. It had been in development for a decade, uh, but um, it had not yet been green-lit by the studio. He didn't really want to talk about it, but what he did say was, it's this sort of Edgar Rice Burroughs style action-adventure film that takes place on another planet. Then he went on to say this, that the best way to tell a story was to tell it as almost like a a fractal experience so that if you were a, a casual fan, you could just watch the movie and that would be enough for you. But if you were a more committed fan, you could go in deeper and deeper and the pattern would still hold. And that metaphor, if you will, really defines how stories are being told now. It's this idea of involving people more and more involving fans taking them to a deeper and deeper level and it's not just fans of a fictional story or a movie it's anybody that is telling stories whether it's a corporation an organization an individual it works the same way for all of us
0: so in other words there there may be different elements throughout that particular story that are going to appeal to a different group of people but the the overall story connects all of them.
1: Yes, exactly. And the and the deeper uh, the the more committed fan you are, <clears throat> the more committed you are to the story, the deeper and deeper you'll go into it, into exploring it. You know, on a negative side, that's what's happening with QAnon. Mm. Um but uh it can also have uh, very positive effects as well.
0: Okay. Frank, thanks very much for your time today. Ladies and gentlemen uh, of our listening audience, you've been listening to Frank Rose, the author of The Sea We Swim In, How Stories Work in a Data-Driven World. The Sea We Swim In is available on Amazon.com in hardcover, on Kindle, and as an audiobook. Frank, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. And for Radio Free Galisteo, I'm John Shannon. Radio Free Galisteo is listener supported. I'd like to thank all of our Patreon supporters for helping make this broadcast possible. You too can become an active supporter of Radio Free Galisteo by going to our Patreon button found on www.radiofreegalisteo.com. Just click it, choose a level of support, and keep music and information from the Galisteo Basin. Coming your way. For Radio Free Galisteo, I'm John Shannon.